Support the Love Thy Neighbor podcast network at anchor.fm slash Anthony dash Wilson slash support. Again, anchor.fm slash Anthony dash Wilson slash support. If you'd like to give a one-time gift, go to dollar sign A Wilson 2273 on your cash app. God bless you. You can support the Mata Mata Project by following us on social media at The Mata Mata Project. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. There you will find the link to register for our book club, organize a volunteer party, or write a research article for our blog. Thank you for your continued support. We look forward to pushing society forward together. All right. Welcome to the Love Thy Neighbor Podcast Network. I'm your host, Anthony Wilson. And today we have a very interesting subject um, that probably needs to be discussed more often. Um, and this discussion is kind of just, you know, broaching the subject. I don't know that we can really solve the issue or resolve the issue, but at least we're going to open up a discussion about uh, the Bible, sexism and patriarchy. And what does the Bible say about it? Does the Bible endorse it, support it? Um, does the Bible teach it? Um, and my guest today is a, a, a very distinguished guest, and I'll tell you why later. But as I introduce her, uh, Tierra Wilson is the co-founder of the Mata Mata nonprofit um, organization. Um, and Mata Mata is interesting, and she'll get into what that actually means because it's a Japanese phrase. But Tierra uh, is a doctoral candidate, candidate um, just received her master's in arts, and um, is a guest that is a, a thinker. Um, she is very analytic, uh, but she loves the Lord, loves to study the Bible. And so we're going to have an incredible discussion today, uh, and hopefully... Um, we unpack some things that maybe you as a listener were thinking about. So, Tierra, welcome to the Love Thy Neighbor Podcast Network. How are you today? I am good. I'm doing great. I'm happy to be here um, and really enjoying this California weather right now. <laughs> I'm enjoying the outside vibes, but yes, happy to be here. So, Tierra, um, if you would like to tell uh, the people who you are, where you are a doctoral candidate, um, and a little bit about Mata Mata. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, so, once again, my name is Tierra. Um, I am a doctoral candidate at the University of Southern California in the East Asian Languages and Cultures Department. Um, so, I research East Asian popular culture. Basically, specifically, I looked at Chinese hip hop and things like that. But um, in addition to my studies, I'm also in the process of starting a nonprofit with a friend that I met here at USC called the Mata Mata Project. Um, and Mata Mata is a phrase in Japanese that means not yet. Um, and so we started this organization as a way to kind of get people to see the ways that society is not yet where it could be. Um, so we know that a lot of good has been done, but there's still some to be done. And so we want to inspire people to look around and say not yet and to be the change, to push forward to where we could be. Um, and so we do that through a lot of different ways, through educating, um, whether through infographics, podcasts, or online articles also through um, amplifying the voices in our community of marginalized groups and just connecting people to service opportunities um, and resources in their community. And so I'm looking forward to this conversation because we're actually doing this month, our topic is sexism. And as a Christian, it's really important to me to dig in and answer the hard questions and to make sure that my 
religious beliefs don't differ from my social beliefs or my passion for social justice. And so, so I'm excited to sit here and have this conversation about um, whether or not, you know, the Bible teaches sexism. Yeah, I think uh, it is a powerful and important conversation. And you being my daughter, <laughs> we have had um, various discussions um, about this from different angles. And so we've talked about aspects of this, but we never actually okay. sat down and said, OK, let's kind of dig deep into it. You know, how does this subject um, affect um, my belief system, my faith, um, what I believe about God, you know, and, and, right. and, and I think it's important not just for um, Christians, but also for those who um, are um, commentaries on Christianity, uh, critics of Christian Christianity, those that um, are interested, you know, about the subject. So I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that yeah, that we can we can do justice to what it is that um, we're trying to discuss here. I know it's not going to be exhaustive. Um, right. It's definitely going to <laughs> we don't be have enough time right. For that. <laughs> it's definitely you know broaching the subject, but we're 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 we have been known to have some very deep conversations, um, and we're just extending this to the podcast um, so that others can join in, both the those that are interested in Mata Mata and those that are following there and those that are Christians that are following the Love Thy Neighbor podcast network. Um, and we're just trying to reach out uh, to all different types of people, all different walks of life with this conversation. So um, th one of the difficult things is, is where do we begin, right? You know, whenever we've had this conversation, we've kind of just entered into it from right. some other street like it's like you're driving down a street and like oh turn there <laughs> and we just right. kind of end up on that street but to actually broach the subject um i think a lot of times when we're talking about this idea of sexism it is built off of a view of the bible um that is from the patriarchal picture mm -hmm. that we see in scripture you know the, you hear people say the, that he's the god of abraham of isaac and of jacob which is the predominant patriarchy in the bible and um, a lot of the biblical passages are built off of the idea of fathers um, being the um, foundation you know for right. the family for the patriarchy um and that doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing um but it is something that needs to be talked about in light of uh, the world that we live in today where we have a patriarchy <laughs> that has kind of produced some very negative yeah. things right so right a lot of inequality mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so are we really seeing that in scripture. So I start with Genesis. I start with Genesis chapter one. Um, and in Genesis chapter one, verses 26 through 28, and I'm summarizing, the Bible says that God created um, man in his own image. He created them male and female, and he blessed them uh, to be fruitful and multiply. And he gave them dominion over uh, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea um, and the land. And in that particular context, it seems to me that from the very beginning, God gave them equal dominion. It was not something where God gave man dominion and woman was kind of like an afterthought, but it says that he gave them dominion. Um, why do you think people miss that when we're having this discussion about patriarchy and equality when it comes down to the Bible? Um, I think, well, I think it comes down to, right, um, the context and how people are reading it is, right, if we consider the fact that um, in that same story, right, in that same book of Genesis, shortly, I think not even a couple of chapters later, we have the fall of man, right? And in that, 
there is this punishment that is meted out, right? Where that man is now given dominion for um, charge over woman mm -hmm. as well, right? And so we see there that from that moment, what was something that was equal, an equal partnership where dominion was given to both male and female is now the male has dominion over the woman, right? And so I see, I think that that's where we start this conversation of, you know, is there sexism? Because now we see that there's no longer that equality. One has the right to govern the other. Right. And, and, I, and I think that's a great point. And you're talking about Genesis chapter three and verse 16 um, to the woman. He said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow um, and your conception and in pain. You shall bring forth your children and your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Um, that is a, a point of contention. Um, right. But we're considering the context. This is in response to the fall, to the sin of mankind, because God's original intention seemed to be that male and female, man and woman would rule together um, in harmony, working with one another rather than, you know, the woman being subjugated to the man. And I think that does bring about this whole picture of this Jewish um Patriarch, patriarchy where man is ruling over woman but when, but I don't my issue is that when does that actually start because when you look at Adam and Eve even you know just keep following the story you go into chapter 4 you know now Adam knew Eve his wife and she conceived and they bore Cain and uh, said I have acquired a man from the Lord and then she bore Again, a second time, his brother Abel, uh, who was the keeper of the sheep, but Cain was the tiller of the ground. Now, even there, you really don't see this pronunciation of, okay, Adam is dominating over Eve. It doesn't seem like Adam was really that type of man <laughs> in, in my interpretation of reading these passages. Um, but other people feel like Eve was being lorded over by Adam. And, you know, so when you hear that, why do you think that's such a popular conception of Genesis? Right. Well, I think it has more so to do with, like, the overall narrative as opposed right, to just right. specifically Adam and Eve. Right. Because in the specifically the Old Testament. Right. Because that's where we see a lot of the laws and the establishing of quote-unquote, the, the governing body of rules for the Israelites, right, is that we see examples of where women are held to different standards or there are, like, different expectations for men and women, right, in the sense that, um, like, a man is, we, and we've talked about this before, like, a man is able to break a vow that a woman makes. Right. Or that um, there were specifically laws for uh, fornication, um, that men were not supposed to fornicate in specific ways, but they didn't specify that for women. Right. Those kinds of things that basically hint at the idea that men and women were not the same. And I think that when you look at it all together, that's where people get this idea of like, well, it's pushing this narrative that women and men are not equal and that they're very much different. And so I don't think that it comes down to just like just Adam and Eve, but I think that that specific encounter set a precedent yeah. for people to read it that way and for people to use it that way. Right. I think that a lot of it, even if the scripture doesn't explicitly allow for that to happen, right? People have manipulated it as such. Like you hear all of the time, well, I have, um, I've heard a person call it the divine right of masculinity. Oh God. Right? <laughs> right? This, this kind of right to rule over you because I was born a male, right? And so we see a lot of that is justified because of Adam and Eve's relationship in the fall. And so I don't know that it actually has anything to do with the way they actually operated. Because you're right, if you think about the story, like I, you actually see Eve taking the lead. And like, and then after that, you don't really see them interact in an unequal way going forward. 
you see it a little bit with like Abraham and Sarah and it continues on, you know, sp specifically with uh, Jacob and Leah and, but really you don't actually see that with Adam and Eve. So right. that's what leads me to believe it's about the fact that that precedent was established so that people can use it however they like. Yeah. And, and, and I think, you know, you brought up a great point with Abraham and Sarah. You know, I think about Abraham and Sarah and one of the, you know, notable um, mentions of the story of Abraham and Sarah is that Sarah is the one who actually tells Abraham to sleep with her maidservant. It wasn't Abraham saying, Sarah, I'm going to take your maidservant because I'm the man. It was actually Sarah saying, take the maidservant, you know, uh, and, and again, there it is again to me, hidden in plain sight, is that this woman was not being lorded over. She was not being dominated by Abraham. As a matter of fact, nowhere in the relationship between Abraham and Sarah do you really see him, you know, dominating over her. You know, yet we have this overarching narrative, like you said, um, where this divine right of masculinity means that I can dominate over my wife. And that's not even the case. And I think because of that, when we get to things like marriage in the New Testament and we read certain things, we have this idea that uh, God put man to dominate over woman instead of God putting an order in place uh, for who's going to carry the brunt of uh, the punishment or the responsibility or the accountability for certain things. Um, Abraham is considered the father of faith because of, you know, him taking Isaac, right, to, you know, sacrifice him and the Lord stopping him. But Sarah is also mentioned, and a lot of people don't see it. They're still trying to figure out, well, why is she being mentioned in the hall of faith? when we don't think she did anything, but she did. <laughs> so even yeah. women struggle with Sarah being important. And now, why would women struggle with that? <laughs> well, and I think it comes down to, and that was what I was going to ask too, is yes. this idea of, right, when we look at like sexism and patriarchy, we don't just look at the interpersonal, right? We don't just look at the person-to-person -person relationship. We also look at the language and the cultural expectations, right? And so I think that what it comes down to is though, even though Sarah might have been the one to suggest, okay, Abraham, you go lay with um, Hagar, right? She was heavily influenced by the systems in place, right? Like the fact that she felt so strongly the need to bear a child, I think is also another thing that a lot of women take up with, right? Is because it sets, again, this precedent that a woman is not more valuable than her womb. You know what I mean? Like right, that's right. what's most important. And if you can't provide in that way, then you're less of a woman or you are no longer have that value to contribute. And so even though Sarah was the one that made that decision, she was heavily influenced by that sort of, it comes across that she's heavily influenced by that sort of thinking, which then even in her acting on her agency still is kind of a loss for the overall plight of women, especially women who maybe don't feel called to bear children or who can't, right? Right. And 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 I would I would agree with that because, you know, that is heavily, you know, um inferred or on our culture today that there are women that do not feel complete. They don't feel like a complete person if they're not married, if they don't have kids, all these things that I don't know that the Bible is is teaching that, but I think the Bible has been used to endorse that thinking and support that thinking. Um, and, but I believe it's erroneously because when I look at these passages, they are specifically historical um, narratives geared towards helping us to understand how the Messiah came to be the Messiah in the New Testament. And it is through this. D divine passion for these women to want to bear a child. Um, but in their culture, it seems that this is just the responsibility of a woman, but this is not the responsibility of all women. This is the responsibility of Jewish women. 
um, because the Messiah was to come through um, their their womb. And so there is this pressure and there's and there's like some degrading wording, you know, when you when you think about it, um, that barrenness, you know, uh, has imposed on, you know, the Jewish woman, which for the reader who's not reading it in its context, who's actually reading it more in a broader sense, um, can feel that pressure. Do you think, you know, like the story of um, Hannah, right? Um, uh -huh. that's another story that's kind of like, she just felt she was actually ridiculed by another woman in the text because of her barrenness. Yeah. And I, I think, and I hear what you're saying about the need for understanding it in the context and how that was specifically a kind of, uh, call to action for the women in the Jewish community in response to prophecies and things about the Messiah. Right. But I think that, you know, in our current day, right, those who are professing Christianity as a religion, um, a lot of them are going off of this idea that the Bible should be applicable to real life, right? And are always trying to apply principles and things like that. Um, and I think so on the one hand, right, understanding it in the context allows us to see that it that's not actually the principle that was being advocated for. Right. But then on the flip side, it also still allows people to take that principle out of it. Right. Right. And so the question then becomes, right, how do we recognize what is actually just, as you say, cultural, right? And what is actually God, right? And then how do we deal with the fact that this actually was endorsed Right. In what could be a harmful way, because like we know that God maybe had not attended for it to be used that way. But there are, like you said, men and women who did and who created a whole culture that does that. Right. And we know that Jewish culture was not the only culture doing that at the time as well. Right. Right. Um, so the question becomes, how do we determine or kind of decipher between what God is actually saying about the relationship between women and childbirth or men and women and what you know is actually cultural interpretations well when we look at the bible you know and i'm a big you know uh, promoter of context 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 what is the historical context what is, and then what is the original author what is their intent what are they trying to communicate and really wrestling with that and not making the bible all about me one of the things that people don't understand about the Bible is that the Bible was not written to Anthony Wilson um, in the 21st century. The, 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 the passages in the Bible were written to an original audience, and that original audience understood something about the passages that then we have a responsibility to respond appropriately to what it is that they're seeing or what they're, what they're hearing and what the purpose is. And so I don't think people really wrestle with understanding first the original context and how important that is before applying it to their current context. They open up the Bible and they read something and they'll just read a random and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take vengeance. The Lord wants me to take vengeance. And it's like, why would you read that that way? Why would you just, you know, uh, one, one lady called it a bibliomancy, <laughs> you know, you just flip open a book and, you know, you divine your direction you know, through whatever the page falls on. And I feel like that's what we've been seeing in a lot of pulpits and a lot of Bible studies. And I think it's time for people to slow down and do more hard work around the idea of what is the original context? What is trying to be communicated here? And then saying, well, how do I respond to it? Not how do I, because there's some things that can't be applicable to us. Like, you know, we talk about women again, you know, um, and hopefully this is a mature audience, but a woman on her cycle, according to the law, was supposed to be put out of her house and, and to be sent out for seven days. And she could not come back until she did certain sacrifices and certain rituals. Then she can come back, come back in, which we know that does not apply today. We don't even mm -hmm. try to make that apply today. Right. But yet we'll take other things in there and try to use them, you know, um, as if they apply now 
um, specifically. And so I, when I when I look at the Bible, I'm always wrestling with my own personal bias, with my own personal experience. Um, and mm -hmm. I'm trying to weed through that to to get the author's original intention so that I'm not eisegeting, which means I'm reading into the text, but I'm exegeting. I'm digging into the text and reading out of it what it's trying to tell me. Um, so then I guess then my next question is, right, you know, what do we do when, right, even though we're reading it, the scripture in the, the historical context and we're understanding what it said for those people, but what it is saying for those people upholds system of oppression today, right? What do we do in that situation? Because like, for example, we use it, the issue of like women's reproductive rights, right, is like, that idea, right, was very specific to that time, but it still reinforces systems of oppression that we have today. Or like the idea you brought up of um, like uh, a women's menstrual cycle, right? And this idea of, you know, the isolation and kind of like the shaming that women are dealing with today um, around periods um, and menstruation, right? A lot of people attribute that to historically the fact that women were cast aside or that they were ostracized during that time right so what do you do with that like how do you say to someone who says oh that's sexist or that's double standards to actually you know have even done that right and now it's contributing to the problems that we have today how do you work with that well you know i if the person is willing to have a real discussion about it you know, I would actually take them into those passages and take them into the historical context and show them that there are a lot of 21st century privilege that we have that was not, you know, um, available to those in that time frame. You know, there, you know, how they dealt with a woman's menstrual cycle is not as clean and as sanitary as we deal with it today. Um, and it was meant specifically for these Jewish or Hebrew people. It was not necessarily something that was um, required of all, all people in all nations at all times. And I don't, and I'm, I would show them that it was never meant to be carried forward because throughout history there were, there were better options. And that's just with that particular subject, even with when people argue, um, certain foods right so we'll use certain foods like you're not supposed to eat shrimp or you're not supposed to eat pork and these things like that those um there were specific reasons that were given you know um there wasn't a process of really cleaning those type of animals you know when they were caught and so god told them to stay away from them and there was rituals connected to them um that were unclean you know from other nations but then you read the new testament and it tells you straight out that all food is is good if it is blessed by prayer and the word and so it does away with this idea and so i think we have to get people to understand that there are specific things that were at specific times and the bible is not always prescribing sometimes the bible is just describing what was happening in that culture at that time no, that's deep. The difference between prescribing and describing, right? This idea that it's explaining how things were, not necessarily how God ordained for things to be or wanted for them to be. Right. 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 Um, and I think that, right, that goes back to the idea of um, we were talking about Adam and Eve, is that when God first made it, right, he made male, man and woman in his image, right? Both were given dominion. It wasn't until sin was introduced with the fall, right, that we see there was inequality, right, that we see these difference come into play. Um, so even in that, right, it gives the idea in that description, right, we see there's a distinct difference between what God prescribed or created and what followed, right? And But that process of what followed was still vividly described. Um, yeah. So I do think that that's a good distinction to make. But I think that we've talked a lot about like reproductive rights and things like that and specifically focused in on the Old Testament, mm -hmm. but we can't talk about this and not talk about the New Testament too, because right, it's right, there right. too, right? 
and uh, specifically we have a lot to deal with this idea of women being the weaker vessel mm. and whatever that means right, <laughs> right, <laughs> um, and right, then right, right, right. this idea that women can't be teachers or leaders right or that women are supposed to cover their heads and things like that so all of that also comes into play when people are talking about well the Bible doesn't treat men and women equally, right? There's clearly some liberties and privileges that men seem to have that women do not. Uh, I, and, and, and again, I make the same argument that I would make for the Old Testament is that we have to take each situation case by case and dive into what it was that the author and the audience were looking at when certain things were said. So I'll take, you know, you know, husbands honor your wives as the weaker vessel. Now, that verse is read from a sexist patriarchal point of view. And that's us doing that to that verse. When you actually read the verse in first Peter chapter three and verse seven, it says husbands likewise dwell with them according to understanding. Right. Um, this idea is that the husband is supposed to know and uh, be well acquainted with, study, and really understand his wife, giving honor to her, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. And we did a long study in our marriage class about um, what that means, right? Uh, and when we did the study on it, the weaker vessel, giving honor to her as the weaker vessel, we looked up what weaker meant. And weaker, when we looked that up, man, this was a roller coaster because weaker meant to lesser capacity, right? The um, uh, uh, the lacking of ability, right? Um, it meant all the things that in our mind we're thinking, right? right. But then we get to vessel, and the vessel, meaning uh, the container by which something is carried. And so a weaker container or a more fragile container. Um, and what we came to the understanding of looking at the Greek, you know, background is that weaker vessel would be something like China that is not to be used very often because it's fragile and easy to break. And this idea is that the husband is supposed to know the areas that could break his wife, that could bring her down so that he doesn't do it. And this is the same language that the Apostle Paul uses with fathers not uh, being so hard on their children that they break their spirits. And so men according to the New Testament, are admonished to really, really learn how to love and build up and honor wives and children. Whereas the, the previous thought is that men are just supposed to domineer over their household and everybody does what the man says. Whereas the New Testament picture is painting this picture of a man that cares uh, very, very much for his wife in such a way that he doesn't want to put more on her than she could bear, you know? And so there's this idea that couples with, you know, uh, Paul teaching in Ephesians that the man is to love his wife the way Christ loved the church and he gave himself for. Her. So this man is supposed to understand that if this wife is going to submit to her husband, then he owes her a lot of honor and a lot of respect uh, to the point where he is willing to sacrifice everything for her. And I think that's a different perspective. And like you said, I don't hear a lot of people really preaching that in that way. Um, they preach it from, you know, the idea that, you know, they focus on wives submit, wives submit. Even the covering of the heads um, in, in um, Corinthians. I, I love that passage because nobody ever reads the whole context. Nobody ever reads the whole context in first Corinthians chapter 11. Um, I'll just go to verse uh, 13 just to give a little bit of context. Um, it says, judge among yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself 
teach you that it is uh, it is for a man for a man to have long hair is a dis dishonor to his head. But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory for her, for her hair is given to her as for a covering. So right there, I, it screams to me sexism, right? You know, women, you're supposed to have long hair. Men, you, you don't have long hair. If a woman doesn't have long hair, there's something wrong with her, right? Right. But verse 16 says, but if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such customs, nor does the churches of God. Mm. Nobody reads that part that he said, this is not even a real custom. <laughs> this is not something that we do. So how did it come to be in the 21st century, the 20th century, the 19th century, the 17th century, the 16th century, all these people putting covering on women's heads? Right. And it says yeah. right there in the text that there is no such custom. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I think that that's big, right? It's reading that whole passage because you're right. Even, and we had kind of talked about this a little bit before. Um, and I remember when I first read the rest of it, I was like, has this always been there? <laughs> right, right, right. Who put that there? <laughs> Who put that there? When did this get here? But I think that, like, it is so important because, like you said, people just cherry pick. And they just, just, like, pick what they want and they keep what they want. But I do kind of want to circle back to this idea of the, the weaker vessel, right? Yeah, yeah. Because you kind of said it. Um, right. And I understand, right, that in a sense, right, it was kind of um, new, right? Like you said, this idea of going from a wife is just a child there that you and someone you quote unquote can govern over to now someone that you are supposed to treasure and be considerate of, right, and honor. I get that there's that transition and, and I'm sure that that takes some kind of work culturally right to transition from but here's my issue still as right and you said it as well right that the language that um paul uses in there right is the expectation is that men are supposed to treat their wives that way right like be considerate of them but also their children their sons right and so this association with women and children as being different or more fragile than men, right, A, perpetuates the um, infantilization of women, right, this idea that women are equivalent to children as someone that needs to be protected and needs to be educated and needs to be, you know, which is very harmful, right? But then B, it also kind of perpetuates this distinction that because we, we live in a society where words like fragile are soft, and soft are negative, right? They're considered signs of weakness and not of strength, right? You're then still perpetuating this idea that women aren't capable, right? Like the very premise is that the reason you need to take care of them is because they are not capable, right? And men are not afforded the same like luxury um, or the same kind of treatment, right? There's not, it doesn't talk about that. Men are also fragile creatures or also can be soft right um so it doesn't afford them the same um space to a express their own weakness which is toxic right but it also doesn't right there is not establishing an equal precedent right we have one takes care of the other but the other doesn't necessarily take care of you know it's not vice versa so what i mean how then is it not kind of perpetuating these double standards for men and women. So I, I, again, again, I, I see it as us imposing that on the, on the biblical text that, so there's two things happening. Number one is that Christianity is branching out of Judaism. And so in Judaism, there is this, 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 this social construct of what you're describing as, you know, uh, the, 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 the men, you know, being, you know, over the women. Um, but in, in a wholeness, you would have to overlook a lot of very strong women throughout the entire Bible to come up with the idea that, you know, women uh, were weaker 
one of the ones that comes to mind right away is the story of Deborah. And Deborah is seen as a powerful woman. And when I say powerful woman, a king actually comes to her and looks to her for counsel. And she says to this man, okay, yeah, you're going to get a victory. And he says, but I, I'm not going unless you come with me. And she says, okay, well, I'll come with you, but you won't get credit for the victory. A woman will, you know, and she wasn't talking about herself. And so in this particular story, in uh, um, Judges chapter 4 and Judges chapter 5, just ch chapter 4 through chapter 5, we see two women, we see two women come to the forefront, one as an advisor and judge over Israel, and two, a young woman named J.L., who becomes the hero of the story, who actually slays the big bad man, you know, and a lot of people say, well, yeah, but I, I, you know, that's not a big deal. You know, then you have, you know, one of my favorite, you know, uh, stories in the Bible um, when the queen of Sheba comes to visit Solomon and Solomon rolls out the red carpet for her, um, that this is a queen over a monarchy. And this is going to be one of a long list of queens, because by the New Testament, Sheba is the, the land of Ethiopia. And by the New Testament, uh, there's an Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8 who is coming bearing papers from the queen of Ethiopia, which is Candace. And so there are these women in the Bible, and that's just a few. I mean, we can go on, you know, to say Rahab. Rahab was the hero of her story, um, saving the Israelites. Um, you know, um, there's Anna in the New Testament who was the prophetess. You know, that was at the time of Jesus. Um, you have Philip and his four da daughters that prophesy. They have a prominent role. And then one of my favorites is when a Priscilla and Aquila, husband and wife team, actually correct a young upstart minister named Apollos in Acts chapter 18. Apollos is a big deal. He, he you know, he's very eloquent. He's preaching the word. He would be, you know, that, 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 that man's man, right? But yet, Priscilla and Aquila, it says they corrected him. It, it didn't say, you know, Aquila pushed his, you know, uh, he pushed his wife out of the way and he did it. They did it together. And so I think we somehow read past. And then uh, Philippians chapter four, where um, uh, Synthogy and Eurodi, two women are being uh, helped by the rest of the congregation. Paul says to them, help these two women to do what it is. Uh, that God, whatever they ask for, give it to them. And so I think we, we focus in on certain things um, that, and that's why I said this is a roller coaster, because I'll read one thing, I'm like, oh, there it is. And then I'll read something else and say, oh, okay, it's not there. And so I think it's because we come to the Bible with this idea already in our head and we're trying to hash it out that we miss, you know, prominent women throughout the Bible who were in places, uh, positions of authority um, and prom and, and power, and, and they were not demonized because we do have those women that were demonized, right? You know, the Jezebels and um, the, Athil uh, what's her name? Athila, Athelia, Athelia. Um, she was demonized because of her role, you know. Uh, so I think we're, we're overlooking things because we're coming to it with the idea that the Bible is promoting or endorsing or supporting this idea when some of the Bible is just description, just telling us what was happening, what was going on versus telling us what to do. Does that make sense? No, I think it makes sense. I just think that my biggest question is, do these examples of quote unquote powerful women or women in leadership positions really make up for right the kind of probably oppression that women faced on a daily basis like the everyday woman does right uh, like there's a tendency to focus in on oh look this person was able to succeed right or this person was still able to be quote unquote uh, a strong powerful leader as a woman right but i think that what that does right is it like it um, makes a hero of the individual 
but it also reinforces the systems, right? Because then it makes the problem that individual people weren't stronger as opposed to the system being the problem. Does that make sense? And, and, see, like, and see, I feel like I feel like that is the problem is that we make those people heroes instead of reading them as what they were. I mean, you think about the, the, the book of Esther is about a heroine, the Ruth, um, the Proverbs 31 woman runs laps around any man in the Bible outside of maybe Solomon. Solomon would have been the only person that would be as successful as the Proverbs 31 woman, right? Mm -hmm. This woman, she was, you know, she was major. And we read past those things and we like minimize them as is, as if, oh, that little woman, yeah, she succeeded, but that's not for everybody. Why is that not for everybody? Why do we want to pigeonhole the women into these categories instead of letting them be great and say this this is this is something that women do this is a part of who women are they 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 can multitask they can rule and lead um candace was a queen over an entire uh, kingdom a monarchy uh sheba the queen of sheba was a queen over an entire even the whole idea of throughout the even the israelites had positions of power where you had the the mother queen who actually ran the country, you know? Um, and so I, I, I think we minimize them and then glorify them into heroes instead of, you know, saying this is who they are. They, they were just that great. These women were just what they, what they look like. They weren't an anomaly. They weren't a situation where they were, uh, some type of, um, um, uh, lucky, you know, for that person to do what they're doing. Hold okay. on, hold on, one, hold on one second. Recording in progress. And so I hear basically what you're saying is that these women who were in leadership positions, who were strong and independent and successful, etc., right, were actually not irregular or anomalies. They were the norm. Right? So then the question becomes, then why did Paul have to say that in the, Old, in the New, uh, New Testament? Why did he have to say, treat them as the weaker vessel if they weren't thought of as the weaker vessel? I, I, I think it's because of the cultural, you know, uh, normative that the Jewish people were, were going through. And see, when we, and I think you said it earlier, and I agreed with you, that when we adopt the Jewish culture as um, prescriptive instead of descriptive, it's harmful. I think it's, it, I think it, it's, it, and it's, and it's erroneous because it really causes a picture that is not being taught, but people can use it. You know, one of the things that we saw that with, and this is not our subject today, but I know this is something that you're passionate about is how there were people that actually used the Bible to endorse slavery. They used the Bible. They went to passages in the Bible as if the Bible was teaching slavery. And that, again, is taking a cultural thing and making it prescriptive instead of it being descriptive. And I think it's about, and that's why Paul told Timothy, be diligent um, to show yourself approved unto God, rightly dividing the word of truth. If there's a rightly dividing the word of truth, then there must be a wrong way to divide the word of truth. There's a wrong way to section it off and parson it, parcel it out and, you know, uh, look at it. And so I think we have grown to a place where we're able to the average person pull up a Strong's Concordance, look at the words really study and meditate on the context and come out of it with a more um, a more biblical understanding of what God is trying to get across to us rather than just uh, kind of taking the easy way out. You know, I heard somebody discuss, you know, the, the women keep silent in the church. You mentioned that briefly and that they're to learn at home from their husband. Well, what was going on that that was needed to be said? Because when I studied that passage in First uh, Corinthians chapter 14, there were three admonishments 
to three separate groups of people to be silent. Those that were speaking in tongues without an interpreter, he says, if there's no interpreter, be silent. Uh, people prophesying, um, if someone sitting by begins to speak something, he says to them, be silent. And then he says to, you know, the women uh, to be silent. And it seems like he's correcting something specific that was happening in the Corinthian church. And we talked about this um, in our Bible study training about understanding the context of Corinth. In the context of Corinth, there was this, 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 this idea of idolatry that is not the same as what we have today. But in Corinth, it was very specific that they were actually shaping and molding idols. Now, you may look in another place in the Bible and it's talking about idolatry in a different way. But in the Corinth, book of Corinthians, it's specific about graven images, carved images. The, the gods of the Gentiles, these images that they were making. And this is specific and it doesn't necessarily apply to us unless we are doing the exact same thing that the Corinthians are doing. But that takes work. That takes slowing down. That takes not being narrow in our thinking. And I think a lot of people come to the Bible and they're very narrow on both sides of the aisle. They're reading it saying, oh, this is oppressive. And somebody else is reading it and saying, uh, this is this is how we're going to oppress, you know, instead of reading and saying, well, what what is it that we're supposed to get out of this? Because it's this is not talking to us. This is saying something specific, especially an epistle, an epistle. If you do your research, an epistle is a letter. And what makes a letter very uh, uh, unique is that letters are occasional. They are specific and they are. Uh, answering or asking specific questions to a specific group of people. It's not a general thing. And you'll know when something is general because it'll supersede that particular letter. So that's the way I would approach it if someone was having the discussion with me. Gotcha, gotcha. I mean, I think that, right, like you said, that it has to do with the culture and you're correct right because i would never say that the bible endorses slavery but there are people who would that would because, yes. <laughs> they're, because they're looking at like you said the cultural customs and the fact that god you know uses the israelites and operates in within their culture right to communicate with them and to address them they would say oh that that's god and the bible endorsing slavery when that's not really the case right, right. that's just like you said, a description of how it was as right. opposed to how it should be. Um, and so I think that we, uh, we've talked quite a bit, actually, <laughs> yes. about a lot of things. But I think that if I had to say that one of the big takeaways for me in this conversation, that's what it would be, right? It's like the difference between prescriptive and descriptive, right? And recognizing that just because that's how things were described in the Bible doesn't mean that that's how God intended them to be, right? right? And so when we say things like, oh, the Bible is sexist, or the Bible endorses sexism, what we're really talking about is the Jewish culture, right? Or whatever um, cultural context that right. is being referenced in that specific passage right we're not talking about necessarily god himself right right because when we look at like we said earlier the way that god intended it to be right we didn't there wasn't even actually a patriarchy established in that right it just right. said he created man and woman so this introduction of the patriarchy this introduction of inequality and slavery and all of these other things all come back to right the fall right and the introduction of sin and so i think that that is a big thing to remind people of and i and something that i always come from as my perspective right even when i'm dealing with issues of like racial equality or gender inequality these kinds of things and this idea that like the world that we know it as it is today isn't necessarily the way that god intended for it to be Right. right in the sense absolutely. that there was an order that he had right and when sin was introduced yes he made a way for us to be restored to him right but that doesn't mean that he's necessarily endorses the way things are now 
Right. Right. And so I think that like we also have to approach it from that way too. Because I think a lot of times we have this assumption that if things are this way, it's because God allows them to be or God yeah. willed them to be. Yeah. Right. And we take that approach with sexism and patriarchy in the Bible. We say that, oh, because these women were looked at as were infantilized in the Bible or they were treated as gullible or they were treated as weaker and they were, quote unquote, ruled over or whatever. Right. <laughs> or the opposite. Right. That men weren't allowed to be vulnerable or weak or whatever. Right. We look at that and we go, well, this was obviously God's will because it happened and whatever happens is God's will, but that's not necessarily how it works. Right. 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 Absolutely. And I think also to add to what you're just saying is that remembering that the Bible for a lot of people, this is a struggle was not written to me in the 21st century. It was written to an original audience. Um, and that original audience, um, was doing something or experiencing something. There were some circumstances or situations that were specific to that original audience. And the goal is for us to understand that first, you know, and then see how they applied their truths to that audience. And then not necessarily try to apply it to now, but how do we respond to what it is that we're reading? What is our responsibility now that we know that that's what was going on and that was the situation, you know, rather than, okay, so how do we apply, you know, women keep your head covered. We're actually not supposed to apply that. We're supposed right. to see that and understand, okay, God wants things to be done in an orderly fashion. So whatever that looks like for us now, we want to be orderly. We don't want there to be chaos in our services. We don't want people just, you know, uh, running over people and over talking people and, you know, things like that, that are pretty basic and simple when we really think about them, you know, that that would make sense rather than looking for these these ways to control and specifically um, oppress and um, um, I don't even know the word I'm trying to think of, it, it, you know, and manipulate people but there is a freedom in our relationship with god and we're supposed to be studying the word to understand what does he specifically forbid and what does he specifically permit and what are some things that is just you know descriptive that we can kind of learn and glean from not necessarily make a hard and fast rule of you know and i think that's what we do most of the time is we make these hard and fast rules and, you know, he says that those are the traditions of men making the, the word of God of none, none effect. And so we miss the beauty of what he was doing, you know, throughout scripture. So, um, yeah, we've talked a lot. And so what I do as my tradition is I usually have our guests pray um, for our listeners in regards to our conversation that God would open our understanding and help us um, to be able to see things. Uh, from a more balanced and unbiased and unpartial point of view, I guess, <laughs> is what we're we're thinking of here. Mm -hmm. All right. It's always, <laughs> just as I have, it's always awkward for me to, like, pray when there's, like, I'm praying with someone else, but I'm not actually in right. the room with them. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, but... <laughs> I'm so used to being, like, let me grab your hand, or, right. like... <laughs> And again, there it is. There it is again. It's a cultural thing, which is not necessary because, you know, God's spirit is everywhere. Right. And so when you pray, you may be praying for hundreds, maybe even thousands of people that will hear this podcast. So, amen. All right. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, God, first and foremost, we just thank you for this opportunity, God. We thank you for this time, God. I thank you for this servant, um, Apostle Anthony Wilson, who's willing to come and have these conversations that um, many in the church are afraid to have or unwilling to have, God. So I thank you um, for his humility um, and for his willingness to learn and to ask the hard questions, God. Um, and I just want to pray for each and every person who's listening to this podcast and who's not, that is also 
asking the hard questions, God, who wants to believe in you, who wants to know you, but because of things that they've heard or things that they've been taught, they don't actually know who you are. or They have misconceptions about who you are and what you mean, God. Um, I want to take the time to pray for those people, God. Um, I pray that right now that you would touch them, God, that if our words could reach them, I pray that they would. Um, but I pray that your spirit would reach them, God, that that hunger would lead them to you, God, and that you would satisfy it, God, that you would be there to answer the questions, God, um, to, to satisfy the curiosity, God, and to give peace of mind, God, to those that are wrestling, wrestling with ideas of, of gender equality or social justice and their faith, God. I pray that you would bring them to the answer that leads to you, God. And that leads to your will being fulfilled, God. That leads to people who are able to engage in this culture and in this world without compromising their beliefs in you, God. Um, and so I pray, God, that um, every listener would be touched and be blessed by this, God. That um, as they're listening, that their eyes and ears would be open and that their heart would be softened, God. That they would be willing um, that they would grow and be willing to have more conversations like this, God, that they would begin to have these conversations in their circles, God, in their churches, in their friend groups, in their families, in their houses, God, um, so that people can begin to just talk about you, God, and talk about your word, God, without bringing in our own bias and preconceived notions, God. Um, and so I just pray that you would just move um, and that Holy Spirit would be stirred up in each and every listener, God. Those, for those that don't know you, God, I pray that this message would inspire them to want to get to know you, God, or to deal with any reservations that they have against you, God. Um, and I just thank you for who you are, and we praise you and we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen, amen and amen. Well, I thank you for taking the time to finally get together with me to do this episode. And like you said, this is not exhaustive. You know, there's probably a lot more to this discussion, you know, that we could that we could have. And maybe we'll come back and do a part two at some time when when you're free. Yes, we definitely um, need to do a part two. <laughs> and we need to do, you know, um, one on social justice, you know, social justice and things like critical race theory. Because those are hot mm -hmm. topics right now, you know, um, between, you know, believers and, you know, school systems. And, you know, what is what are we you know, what is our position as Christians on those type of, you know, um, hot button topics? You know, because I think we need to discuss them. And like you said, I don't want to be afraid to take them on because people are so heated about them. <laughs> right. But no. I, yeah, I think they're conversations <laughs> worth having because I think. And the important thing is, right, people just have to be willing to come into it and say, okay, well, what does, you know, what does the Bible actually say about this? Yeah. And not come in with, this is my agenda, right? Uh, you know, a lot of people, uh, actually, um, Uncle Charles, he, he asked me that one time when we were having a conversation about gender in the Bible. And, like, what does, you know, um, does the Bible establish, like, gender roles and things like that? And really wanting to kind of dissect how gender is looked at in the Bible. And he had asked me, he was like, well, what's your agenda in this? <laughs> and in the beginning, I was a little bit offended. Like, are you saying that I have an ulterior motive? Right. Like, but, but like, in reality, we all do. Yeah. Right. We all have some kind of in agenda or motivation that drives us. Right. right. And so we do have to think about the way that that, influences our approach to the word of God and to God himself, right? Is that like, if you are looking for someone to um, perform miracles and be a magician, and that's how you approach God, yeah. then that's what you're going to see, that's right? But see. if you're looking for someone who's only a creator, um, who doesn't have relationship with you, that's also what you're going to find, right? right? So it all comes down to um, what our intentions and our motives are. And I think the same thing comes with issues like hot topics like social justice and, and race. Because, right, like you said, the Bible is descriptive about how those things are approached. And it may not use the exact 
terminology that we have in this day and age, but the principles are still there, right? Like justice comes up in the Bible all the time. A lot in the Bible. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. So, and I think we'll, we'll come back and, and we'll have that discussion maybe uh, when you're free, because I know classes are getting ready to kick off. And so you'll be pretty busy, but um, (laughs) we will, you know, um, we'll see what happens. And then for me, classes are probably getting ready to kick off, you know, and trying to uh, accomplish this degree in biblical study. So um, a lot of schooling will be happening. So we'll probably have to look forward to the break, the Thanksgiving break uh, for us to come back Mm -hmm. together. But during that time, a lot's going to have happened. And so there'll be a lot to talk about. So um, to my listeners, thank you for listening to the Love Thy Neighbor Podcast Network. Um, Your host, Anthony Wilson. Remember to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. I will be dropping uh, the Mata Mata uh, link to be able to connect with Tierra um, and her team um, for the Mata Mata um, nonprofit. So if you want to, you know, check out what they're doing on Instagram and things like that, I will be getting that information and dropping it down in the description so that you can check her out. Um, otherwise, thank you, Tierra, for joining me. And until next time, we'll talk to you. Until next time.